Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. Perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Listeners, welcome to today's episode of a Highlights 2021 of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Wow, we, we are just over the halfway mark of the first month of the year. How are your goals coming along and how are your resolutions coming along? You know what? It's really important for us to be able to actually develop habits and put the habits in place and make sure we're doing things and being disciplined, focused, and consistent. So if you haven't already done your goals, we're going to really encourage you to go back and listen to the last few Ask Dennis episodes whereby we actually have been sharing some wonderful things in relation to goal setting and getting out there and achieving your goals. All right, today's episode, I've got three wonderful guests, and these guests are coming from episode 195, Tony Curl, uh, People Value People Who Value People. 197, Frederick Haran. Now, Frederick is very special because he's the one that helped me get the theme for Leadership is Changing in this podcast and this topic. So great guy called the Creativity Explorer is his actual episode. Now, listen to when um, I ask him whereabouts he is in the world and quite fascinating to hear where he is in this world today. The other episode, episode the third one that I'm sharing with you is 198 Christopher Salem. He is going from competitive to collaborative and sharing some wonderful insights with us as well. All right, so sit back, relax, and enjoy these three wonderful guests. Hey, um, I've just given our listeners a brief introduction to your background. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Anything else you'd like to tell us about your background? Yeah, I, I think retail uh, as a... When we talk about my retail, my background, it's predominantly retail. I work with some of the major retailers over here, Kmart, Bunnings, Coles, so very well-known brand names over here in Australia. And often I feel retail leadership is almost discounted in some way, shapes and forms. So when I was a complex manager with Bunnings, for example, the stores that I was 
operationally operationally leading, we're in the vicinity of thirty to fifty million dollars. So you've got a team of one hundred and fifty. You've got eight or nine direct report managers. So, so in many ways, the leadership and the management experience that I gained in those particular roles have enabled me to go out there and really help and support some of the businesses that I now support because the complexity is still the same. And you know, understanding things like your marketing and your customer experience and and whatnot, but but it's also a story of following your passion and purpose, I guess. So in 2013, when I jumped shift and left the security of the salary and went out on my own, I really had no idea what it was going to look like or how long it was going to be. And, you know, still to be sitting here in 2021, to to me, it's its own little success story. I've plugged away, I've persevered, I've continued on. And yeah, so so I think that the resilience that you learn within the retail industry, the, the leadership principles, the ability to build rapport with your team and get the most out of them has really laid the foundation for me to be successful at what I do now. Yeah, great. So you mean you didn't take a red pill or a blue pill and then da-da, all of a sudden you're a leader? No, it doesn't happen like that, does it? So, you know, and interestingly, you know, all the companies I was with had different different styles of leadership. And, mm. you know, when I, when I look about when the wheels finally, when, when the cogs finally turned for me around leadership, it was certainly with my Bunnings days. And, you know, I was really lucky to join Bunnings uh, in 1999 when they were first sort of starting out, you know, their first store was 94 and this was their first branching out into Queensland. And there were only seven stores when I joined. And now, you know, to give you an indication, there's 60 stores, over 60 stores in Queensland alone. So so mm. in those days, there was only seven. We were a really tight-knit bunch. We were something brand new. But they were really focused around the development of their leaders. So we were doing things like running regular leadership workshops um, to ensure that you know, the model that Bunnings wanted with their leaders was one that was being built from the uh, from the grassroots leadership within the stores. So, mm. you know, in those days, we, we built the leadership model that Bunnings operates under today. It was uh, just an amazing experience. And, and I guess what I learned there is that the more you invest in leadership development, the more you can challenge the status quo, the more you can get people out of their comfort zone, the better off you're going to, the, the better off the business and the organisation is going to be. Yeah, and getting getting people out of their comfort zone is really one, one thing. And I think that's where the magic happens as we see sometimes on social media that people talk about, this is your comfort zone. But out here is out of your comfort zone is where the magic happens. And I think it's a great thing for it to happen. Tony, I want to go back to something you said before. Yep. And that is the cogs started to turn for me around <laughs> leadership. What, what do you mean by that? When I was with, really simple analogy, when I was with um, Kmart, I joined Kmart fresh from school. It was the 80s. And you were firmly judged on what time you got into the building and what time you left the building and how hard you worked in between. You know, so promotions were, and, you know, it was a really, the, the culture was extremely it was all about how hard you worked, how much sweat equity you put into the place. It wasn't necessarily about how you led people. It wasn't necessarily about how you created a great team. It was it, it was a real personal style of judgment around your leadership. So when I, um, and, you know, 
that was, I, I guess, the industry at the time. You know, I talked to a number of retailers that came through at that particular time, Dennis, and many of them talk about that. If your car wasn't the first one in the car park, you were, you were going to have a tough day with, with your boss sort of scenario. So towards the end of my tenure, I, I spent, I'm just trying to think, 15 years with um, Kmart So and, and started as a training manager and moved into a store management role in about the mid-90s. And it was obviously I must have been good at doing what it is that I getting the car park first and you know putting in the equity and then um, towards the end of my tenure they really started to focus a little bit more around the engagement of the people and you know how we can create a better environment but it wasn't until I, I went to Bunnings that I suddenly realized the absolute importance of leadership that an organization placed on it and that they were willing to invest in it but they're also willing to make the hard decisions on people that weren't coming along on the journey. So one of the the biggest challenges I had in my shift from Kmart to Bunnings was I went from an organisation that was very structured. It was very tick and flick. It was we had technology that was helping us in so many ways. Our stock takes were a classic example. We were ahead of the curve in the technology game with Kmart. Moving to Bunnings was a completely different mindset because technology wasn't front and centre. And, you know, and and I think back on my initial stock takes with Bunnings and they're all incredibly manual and no, not a great deal of technology to help you. So I, so I shifted from my challenge was that comfort zone. I, I, I was, I had all this um, additional, I, I support resources and whatnot with Kmart at the time and then moved into Bunnings, which was fundamentally like a, um, a greenfield scenario. It was, we're bringing you in because of your leadership experience. We, you make the business with what you know. So we were empowered. We were able to make our own decisions, but we didn't necessarily have the support around with, the, you know, technology. Different story today. Bunnings is one of the leaders in technology. But in those particular times, I really had to step out of my comfort zone, but I understood, not initially, but I understood very quickly in time the emphasis that they placed on our leadership and our leadership ability and our ongoing development that was enabled to create the Bunnings business that we see today. Yeah, wonderful. And yeah, good to hear that you talked about that. And it's interesting to see organisations that were really heavily reliant on technology and others that weren't. Yeah. But today, I think you're right. I mean, there's a lot more. T- uh, most organisations today are very heavily involved in using technology to help them in their businesses, which is good. So that was all good. So how did you actually get into leadership? What, what did you, what was the sort of driver for you to get into leadership just a few years ago? Yeah, well, I, like many other people, started part-time job while I was at school. So um, I'm a Corinda High graduate here in Brisbane and um, some very famous people went to Corinda High. But while I was at Corinda High, I was also working um, at McDonald's in the city. So it was um, more social, I, I guess, than anything else. But it was a, it was a lot of fun. And once again, it's a, it was a different time. But I was acknowledged there after, you know, I started working for Maccas in, in grade 10 and I, I finished up when I left school and joined Kmart. But I um, I was acknowledged and appointed as a crew trainer back in, you know, after 12 months. And and um, it wasn't part of a goal. I hadn't set it as a goal. It was just something that happened that was identified. There was potential there and I could teach people and I could communicate with people and I could build rapport. So, so I guess that was my initial 
foray into leadership. But and then I joined Kmart as a training manager. So so I guess from there it was always going to be a case that I was you know leading teams and you know the size of the teams wasn't once again was never part of the equation in those days. It was just about how do I get better and and whatnot. But when I, I still look back on those days and I just see a kid that was trying to do his best, you know, mm. and whereas it wasn't until I become really conscious as a leader and that, and that fundamentally happened with with Bunnings and, you know, to this day I, I can still, uh, I look at the, the Bunnings leadership model and the Bunnings leadership model is just a really, really powerful sort of a model and, you know, it was used in just about every aspect of the organisation. You know, we started with the values as the foundation. We then had the strategy and the culture side and it was all leading up to to the vision of the organisation. So, you know, things like building trust, developing people and then and that was the cultural side. So that was real key and critical. But then on the strategy side, it was about how do you inspire people and drive performance. So you had that really good, strong mix and that really gave me and understanding that that is what leadership is all about. It's about building the rapport and developing your team to be the best that they can be, but still having the discipline and desire to drive the results. So, so when you when you say, <laughs> how did you first get into leadership? A little bit of a long-winded story, but I think fundamentally I look at that time with Bunnings is when I first got into the my real understanding of what leadership is all about. Yeah, cool. Because I'm sure there's a lot of young people out there today who are thinking about what can I do or what should I do to start getting into leadership? And do I need to go and work for a McDonald's? Do I need to go and do something like that? And I think what I've heard from a lot of people that I've interviewed I and mean, other leaders that I've worked with is that it's pretty important that they get some structure around them. But I think it goes back to the piece that you talked about, building rapport and doing so forth. But I think the thing that you said, which was inspire people and drive performance. Yeah. And if we can learn how to do that, I think that's going to be quite strong. Absolutely. And it's going to set you apart because from my experience, Dennis, and you've probably seen this as well, a lot of leaders are only just hanging on. So they're, they're only just getting the day's work done. They're only just getting their team to do the bare minimum. And if you were to talk to some of them about, well, what do you do to inspire <laughs> inspire your people and drive performance? It's probably the last thing on their mind. They're just wanting to get through the day. And mm. and that's one of the real challenges I, I think that leadership faces is that um, we have a number of people that potentially may not be, should not be in the roles that they have, but also they're not being developed to give themselves a, a better understanding of how they can perform better. Whereabouts are you in the world today? I'm actually on one of my islands in Sweden. Oh, awesome. You might hear some some waves clucking in the background. Ah, that'd be very nice. Very nice indeed. So, Friedrich, I've given a brief background or uh, explanation about who you are and so forth, an introduction. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your background? Yeah, I, I think that was ex exemplary, actually. I think that was a good summary of what I do. I have studied and I continue to study human creativity. That's my passion. Yeah, excellent. And so how did you get into that and leadership and other things and change? How did you get into this, Frederick? Well, I went to university in, 19, in the ni early 1990s. And in 1993, I went to study one semester in America. And I, and I had a girlfriend in Sweden. 
And it, at that university, they had something called the internet and where you could send emails, which meant I could send letters to my, to my girlfriend in one day instead of two weeks. So I said, you have to go find a computer that has internet somewhere. And that's when I saw the internet. And I came back to Sweden in 93. In 94, I wrote my university thesis on, on uh, internet and marketing. I think it was the first thesis on, it, on the topic at, in Sweden. And, uh, and my, my professor first wouldn't let me write on it. And then when I had written it, he copied it and put it into a, a book and published a book. <laughs> That's when I learned wow. never, never to trust professors. But that, too, that was a, so, um, so suddenly I was an internet expert and, and, I, and I was 27 years old. I had studied internet for 10 weeks, which meant I knew 10 weeks more about the internet than anyone else did in Sweden. And I was there for an expert and I became a speaker. People asked me to come and speak about this thing that I knew so much about. I like to say sometimes being an expert means knowing more than the audience. And in my case, I knew 10, 10 weeks more about the internet than anyone else. And that made me an expert. And then since then, I've been trying to stay 10 weeks ahead of everyone else. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, you just keep staying ahead of your audience and, and then you're all good there. And it's interesting how life has started to change even then in those days in the sense of the internet and being able to send your girlfriend a letter or a message within two days or one day versus sending it over over two weeks. It's, it's amazing how things have changed and we see things changing even more so now as well. So do you see a lot of things changing for us in the sense of technology is driving change yeah so i mean basically the, for the first five years in the in the 1990s i spoke about the internet i was an internet speaker and then in 2000 i get tired of it because i felt well now we thought about everything we can think about about the internet so now what am i going to speak about and now 20 years later we're still talking about digital transformation it's kind of mind-blowing actually but it's, mm. it's, it's fascinating because, I mean, the change that we've seen in the last 20 years is nothing compared to the change we will see in the next 20 years. And that's what makes it so interesting to, to study the topic right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the next 20 years, you're, you're so right, there's going to be a lot of change happening for sure. Frederick, here's a question for you. And, and that is that now this person could be alive or the person can be from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Well, okay. I think that's a very good question. I, I, but I, I want to answer it in a bit in a different way. I would say my favorite leaders, all the unknown leaders that do all the, this amazing work and, and never get any acknowledgement for it or any recognition for it, like a, I don't know, a small someone starting a Sunday school somewhere uh, and get the kids together so they have something to do on the weekend or uh, if you want me to put a name on it, I can I can put a name on it. Her name is Robin, and she runs an organization for children of sex workers in the slums of Mumbai. She goes out and finds these totally neglected children, and she runs this tiny organization on a tiny budget and with these traumatized girls and very little recognition, very little reward, a lot of hard work, and does amazing work. And uh, there are there, and she's amazing. But there are millions of people like that all over the world. Yeah, and it's amazing the work that they do. And as you said, it's unrecognised. It's sort of being done in the background, but it's so important work, right? It's 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 work that they do that has major impact in our future, in our children for the future, in our generations for the future. Would you agree? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, innovation is a very important topic, but I would I would go so far to say that leadership is an even more important topic because if you don't have leaders, not very much gets done. I mean, yes, you know, you, you people can do things one on one and one, but then we then we still need self leadership. So either way, we need leadership to get things done. So it's a very very important topic, and I think it's really good that, like I said, I studied the internet for uh, in the beginning, and I saw the potential of sharing knowledge and information, and to think about how much leadership is improving in the world because things like this, free education, free podcast, free blogs or whatever on how helping leaders become better because God knows in the history of mankind, we we, uh, we have had very, a lot of bad leaders and a lot of people who never had an, any ability to learn how to become better leaders. So now you can sit, you can sit in, I don't know where, you can sit in Afghanistan for God's sake and want to study how to become a leader. Now you can do that from the best leader, leadership consultants and coaches anywhere in the world. And that in itself is going to lead to even more innovation. So it, however you look at it, it's, it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, that global reach of the internet and being able to do that and having that access to this material, as you said, is is tremendous and, and uh, be wonderful to see where it's going to go, but also what other, I'm going to call them product, but I'm going to say the outcomes or results that we'll see the new leaders of the future. And uh, it's going to be really exciting to see what that happen. Yeah, I uh, I actually pulled my kids out of school so one year hmm. ago. So we're, we're now homeschooling our kids and wow. we are doing it to teach them how to learn so that they're ready for whenever they come out. So so basically they have one teacher in the UK, they have one teacher in in the Philippines, they have a coding teacher sits in in India. Uh, so we're basically finding the teachers that we can find online to teach them and then in the morning they get one hour with the teacher and says this is what you're going to do today and then they go on and they do it and they are five well soon six eight and ten and they're working independently by assignment that they've been given on in video chats or online and they go on and they do it and they do online search research for the material they need to do and things like that. And they're learning very, very well how to work in a, in a world that is, because they're growing up as, as true internet digital native people. And unfortunately, yeah. a lot of the kids that go to schools today are still not, I mean, the last industry to adapt to this new world is, is, is regular school. And that's very sad because they're not learning how, how they should work and how we will work in the future, how we are working today actually. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think the uh, the other beautiful thing about that is that the, the kids are learning how to be independent, how to how to stand on their own two feet and, and, and do things and go out and learn themselves rather than being somebody standing at the top of them telling them what to do. Well, I mean, I've, I've had a background primarily most of my life in sales, but over that time, I've got to really understand not only myself overcoming many obstacles and, and a major transformation I went through 22 years ago, but also really, really to understand how people communicate and how they lead. And from that, I, I was able to migrate into coaching and, and it's become a passion of mine working with individuals and companies, how to lead effectively by example and be a resource to build more winning, engaging teams, empowering others to own their role and duties in uh, their jobs and so on. Awesome. And what do you like about coaching in particular? 
Well, it's just something, I guess it's been born into me. I come from a family of teachers. My mother was a teacher. My aunts and uncles were teachers. I have cousins that are teachers. My mother always said you would make a great teacher. And I say, well, I am teaching and I am educating. That's not in a traditional role like a teacher would in a school, but yet I'm doing it as an executive coach. But I also do some adjunct faculty work for two universities in uh, their business program that are non-accredited. So I help them to really help build some value in terms of uh, applied knowledge to businesses that are around uh, where those schools are located. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, coaching is a wonderful thing, and and I love doing it as well with people. And I just like seeing them get the them getting the light bulb moment or the that transformational situation or that insight that really just changed their lives, their teams, and all their organisations. Which is which is a wonderful thing to see for sure. Hey, Christopher, you talked about you got into sales and so forth. So, how did you get into leadership? Well, leadership was just something that came natural to me. I've always had this uncanny ability where people would come and open up to me, meaning that they would tell me things that they wouldn't tell their bosses, wouldn't tell their peers, would even tell their significant others. So the fact that I had this ability probably led, I didn't know it at the time, was that I had this ability to connect where people were. So if people were feeling vulnerable or if they felt incompetent, Maybe they didn't know enough. They didn't want to disclose this information to people they work for, fearing they might lose credibility, might lose their job. But yet people felt very comfortable talking to me about that. And because of that vulnerability and transparency, those are two strengths that allow an individual to to grow from where they are into everything that they desire to be. I just had this ability to do that and help people move along through a plot, you know, being the, the, the messenger, being someone that related and understood where they were at and, and shared from experience, empowering them to take ownership of where they were and where they desired to be to go from there. So I kind of guided them and gave them the blueprint, but first connecting on court on shared values connecting at a place where they felt comfortable, where they could be vulnerable and transparent to start moving forward. Yeah, that ability to connect with people uh, where they are at is, is a really, really important skill to have. And I think a lot of leaders nowadays, they're not doing that because they're running, as I said in my introduction, email to email, meeting to meeting, and they're overwhelmed and, and they're finding it a little bit difficult to, to be able to do that. But they just probably need to get themselves out of the way and allow them to be there present with people. And I think being present is probably one of the biggest things that a lot of leaders could do today. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you just nailed it, Dennis. I mean, it is about being present. See, if we're going to be effective leaders, we have to be able to lead by example and be a resource. So if we're not being the example of everything that we're looking to do to inspire people that work for us to own their role and own their duties, then all we're going to be stuck in doing is telling people how, when, or why to do something. Mm. And when they're not doing it to the level that you anticipate, then it's just going to lead to more telling and more conflict and things not getting done. You're, you're operating from expectations tied to outcomes that operate in the past and future in terms of thinking. So as leaders, we have to be present. We have to learn to think differently in a way to be different, to become different, to do different, and then have different, better results. When we can shift away from telling people how, when, to why to do something and share from experience, being that example and being a resource 
rather than pleasing and enabling others and shifting our result process into the moment of trusting what we know and what we can control and maximizing that Mm -hmm. and letting go of everything else and not tying ourselves to the expectations of the outcomes, we'll have far better results and more likely to inspire people through our example and our resources to do the same over time, creating more future leaders in their role and duties. Wow, listeners, what fantastic guests they are, all three of them, Tony, Frederick, and of course, Christopher from 195, 197, 198, these episodes, the three of them. I'm going to encourage you to go now and listen to the full episodes and listen to them carefully, take notes, because it's wonderful insights. And you've just heard a little bit of a snippet from each one of them. And why wouldn't you go and listen to them? Hey, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, leadership is changing. We'd love to see you come to those different communities. Come along and contribute. We would love to see you there. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.